So welcome to Behind the Geeks. I am served. I am joined by Mr. Scott Riley, Mr. Richard Tubb, and Mr. Pete Matheson, the serial unboxer. And tonight, I don't know what we're talking about because <laughs> we're too busy watching Pete's bloody unboxing his things and then <laughs> getting ready. So guys, what were we talking about tonight? Uh, I think we were digging into Scott's latest uh, issue, wasn't it? How, how do you... <laughs> What, what, yeah, what was the question? How to remove, how, how how do do you remove yourself ah, yeah, remove from the business when you don't have yeah, any yeah, money. Yeah. We know right. what we're doing. I so think the quick answer to this one is start a YouTube channel and get sent free stuff because it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> Exactly. So tonight's topic was how can you remove yourself from the day-to-day, at least in your MSP, when you got no money, and it's a challenge that Scott's got in there at the moment. And so we've all gone through, like Richard, Pete, and myself have gone through the whole journey of, of starting your MSP by yourself and being the only person in your business all the way to getting it to the point where you're not required in your business so much and if at all. And um, so we've, and we've, all of us, I'm sure, have made a billion mistakes along the way. We all traveled different journeys as we went through that process. We all got to different points in there. We've probably got some, some ideas that we can share. But my, my first question, whenever I hear this and someone says to me, oh, I've, like, I'm, I'm a two or three or four or five person shop or whatever, and I, just, I need to get the business running without me. And my question back to them, and this is a question that I wish I was asked back when I was um, trying to go through the same process, is why are you trying to do that right now? Can the business the business really needs a leader right now? And unless you've got the budget to go and, and buy and pay for a CEO, which you're not going to at a three, four, five person shop, then you need to be the CEO. You need to be the person that's in there as a CEO role, providing the leadership and the vision and the the, the, the given getting some excitement around the business. And so I, I feel a lot of people try to get themselves out of their business too early without and then they it means that they're taking the foot off the gas of growing what could be an amazing thing that they've got there. And I feel a lot of the time it happens. In my instance, it happened because I got burnt out a couple of times in my business, and right. and that was when I was trying to pull myself out of it. In the tech tribe at the moment, I'm loving what we're doing in the tech tribe at the moment, so I don't want to pull myself out of the things that I love working on. And that's what I feel like people have got to either get to that point where you love what you're doing and you're working on it with so much energy that, that, you're, that you're what's making the business thrive and, and get through this stage that you've got to get through to get to the point where you do have enough money to to perhaps bring in an external CEO or, or whatever. Should we t- but, tweak the question slightly then? Yeah. So I, th- I think what we were, the feedback that we got from people is not so much that they're trying to completely remove themselves from the business, although in Scott's case, you probably are to a degree, aren't you? But even with you, Scott, maybe I'm speaking for you. I think most people are looking to remove themselves from the role they started with, which is traditionally the technical role so perhaps it's more about they want to remove themselves from the day-to-day so they can focus on the stuff they know they should be doing but are not doing like marketing sales meetings business development would does that make sense yep yeah totally it's it's that it's that classic working on the business not in the business right it's it's when we do the the Michael Gerber E-Myth Revisited and we plot out the business and all the roles and all the seats and you realize when you start the business, you kind of sit in all those roles to start with. And Pete, you made a, a LinkedIn post yesterday about exactly this. Like you sit in all those seats hmm. and as you bring people in, you, you, know, you fill people in those different seats and those different responsibilities. But there are still things that you as the founder, as the, you know, the owner, end up doing that you probably shouldn't be 
that just someone else is going to be better and quicker and faster at it than you are. And, you know, like if I take simple things like invoice reconciliation, because I had access to the zero and I had access to the bank accounts, there's me on a weekly basis doing all the ins and the outs and the puts and the takes. And in the end, I'm like, this is just, uh, it's just a waste of my time. It's four or five hours a week that I'm wasting just faffing around with, with invoicing. And I just spoke to our accountant. I said, look, is, is, and I'd never heard of the term. I'm like, is that, is there any way you can do this for me? And she goes, yeah, we do bookkeeping. Do you want us to do bookkeeping? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. That sounds like something I want. How much is it? I don't know. It's like 10 pounds an hour or something. Yeah. Ooh, shut up and take my money. Just go, go do that. All right. Because it frees me up. And, and the reality is, like, sometimes I, I sneak back in and I'm like, well, I'll just put this receipt in. I've been to Costco and I bought some, you know, stuff for the office and I'll put it in and I'll file it. And then I get an email the next couple of days going, you did it wrong. We don't, <laughs> we don't pay VAT on these items. What are you doing? Leave my finances alone. And I'm like, oh. As one of my okay. teams said to me, Scott, stay in your own lane. Only she yeah, said it a little yeah, bit exactly, stronger than that. Yeah. In fact, she's on the call this morning. So, yeah. I like yeah, but it's like you've, you've hired me to be good at this. Like, stop messing around with it. And I think that's what I was thinking when I was thinking of this topic is it's how do you kind of extract yourself from day-to-day ops so that you can focus on, like you said, Nigel, the stuff that you really enjoy, but also the stuff that's really going to, you know, turn the needle for the business. It's really going to, you know, keep it moving and, you know, keep everyone enthusiastic about what we're doing. I think the, hey, the stuff that I focused on specifically around that, I guess, is – Spend the time up front to automate as much as you can do. So like, you know, from the point, yes, you've handed it over, but we, you know, we'd look at Receipt Bank or Dext and those kind of tools to yep. do as much as you can so that you fire an invoice in and the invoice ends up in, in there automatically anyway. And then it ends up in your zero in a stage where it just needs to click, you know, the green, you know, reconcile button. Reconcile and that's kind button. of it. It's already in the right supplier. The amounts are all there and everything. Um, and then... I guess in terms of actually like, and then once you've handed it over, there was this thing I picked up from, I think it was the entrepreneur circle of the 90 minutes, like do your 90 minutes every day. So the whole working on the business and in the business. And I I did this from very, very early, early days with running my business of the first 90 minutes in your day, even like come into work an hour earlier. So, you know, I come in from uh, half eight to a half nine. It doesn't sound like, like it's too early, but half eight to a half nine or sorry, eight to a half nine for 90 minutes. That would be my door is closed, my email's off, my phone's off. I'm working on the business on on things that will push it forward, whether that's going to be creating new products or working on lead gen material or, or just something that's that's pushing things forward and taking us in that in that right direction. And then after that, then you get into the day to day and down in the weeds and doing all the kind of you know the day to day kind of grinding stuff. But just using that ninety minutes every single day, every single day, that basically gives you over a week a full working day's worth of time to work on the business. Right. Like extra that you wouldn't have otherwise had. So we used it before for, uh, we need a new website. This is very, very early days. We need a new website. I spent 90 minutes every morning for a couple of weeks or two or three weeks or so. And we had a new website that came out of it that I wouldn't have otherwise found time to do if I was just doing it day to day and not focusing my time on that. So I think that's a, always a really important thing for you know everyone that's scrambling around or one-man bands. Try and find that time. It doesn't have to be in the morning. It can be the even, in the evenings if you feel like you're most productive in the evenings. But I, I just find the time that works best for you, just completely switch off and go, okay, this is what I'm going to do today or this week or this month, and I'm going to do it. That I found really, really powerful because it just stops you getting distracted. Like tell your staff not to interrupt you. Like, like I say, close the door, close the email, turn off all distractions, and just do that, that one thing. Um, Cal Newport like refers to it as um, 
deep work, doesn't he? The idea of, you know, just focusing because the, the, the biggest challenge for MSP owners, I think, is the the switching in cognitive load. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like if you're working on something, say if you're working on your website, as Pete says, then somebody knocks at the door and says or taps you on the virtual shoulder, hey, Pete, how do we do this? And you're like, and it might take 30 seconds, but it probably takes about 15 minutes for you to get back in the flow. Mm-hmm. So in his book, uh, Deep Work, Cal Newport talks about, you know, blocking off this time, uh, you know, to create content, to do whatever you need to do, switch the phone off, lock yourself out. Uh, I know some people who have got, I'm in the studio garage at the moment, and I know some people who've got their little studios or offices and they've got an on-air, an on-air light, you know, a big <laughs> red on-air like at the BBC. In other words, do not disturb me because I am working on something. You don't have to actually be on-air. I know other people in shared office spaces, you know, people like me who get really distracted by the hubbub, putting earphones in, which is an agreement with the people around you. Do not disturb me. I am working on something. And as long as you come up after a 90-minute period, 25 to 90 minutes or whatever of that deep work, it's fine. There's nothing that can't wait for 90 minutes, is there? We had a similar thing even with our staff when they were trying to focus on something, just with the whole headphones thing, just pop some headphones on, earbuds, whatever it is, just... Whether whether you have anything or not, just turn on noise cancellation and just like have nothing. Just um, put them in, and then you can get on with things. And there's very very little distractions. That's why mobile phones are so bad because like oh, oh someone's yeah. tagged you on Facebook. Oh this has happened on Instagram. Just turn it over, switch it off, like put it to one side, out of reach. And yeah, it makes such a huge difference to have that. And if you can't afford earbuds, start a YouTube channel like Pete, and you will get a <laughs> ton of them. Or, or ping me a message. I think I've got like five pairs of them at the moment. <laughs> Claire mentions, and so they're all great tactical things that we all need to be doing far more of. But Claire mentions a great thing in the chat there that do you think a lot of the time that we choose to work in the business on things that we're used to and comfortable with because it's the default or it becomes a default because we're comfortable with those things versus working on the new on the business things that sometimes are new to us like marketing or whatever it happened or, or leading a team or sorry hiring a, a bigger team or whatever and I, I say that all the time even myself and in everyone in that we look at the things some things and go ah like I know I need to work on that but it's just easier to do this because I know that and I'm comfortable at that and, and a lot of the time it's pushing yourself across that boundary to go and do the thing that's tough and it's new and it's a challenge. And I see that as, as a big part of this, this whole working your way out of the, the, the menial roles and up to the, the higher level things is that, is just getting past that mindset side of things. It's a brilliant well, I, point. I think it's more pressure like orientated because when, when you're doing client work, you're constantly pressured to like, you know, be responsive, do the thing as fast as you can, do it as best as you can, improve on things. And so I, I almost feel like it's a natural um, progression to go from, well, I must just carry on working in the business because that's to make it better, faster, stronger, more money. There's like, always a ticket. Kind of thing. Without then scaling back and going, oh, hey, hang on a minute. Look at the big picture. All the kind of stuff I'm doing for this one client to kind of make them happy. Yes, it's important. But actually, the bigger picture of does it drive the business forward? Is it going to help us grow? Is it going to, you know, whatever you want to do with the business. So I, I feel a large part of that is going to be just maybe people just aren't aware of the fact that they should be working on the business because most people just get dragged into the day to day. And it never stops. You know, they, they turn up for work at nine o'clock in the morning, open up their inbox and go, oh, there's another like 30 tickets I need to get through. Let's start cracking through. And they just slam through the tickets and they don't ever think about everything else that's going on. Maybe they should be spending more time on on the business and outsourcing the, and delegating, um, you know, all those other kind of roles. One of the biggest bits of feedback, Pete, you mentioned smartphones earlier, which is like scourge of the modern life. It's also one of the biggest technology enablers, but it's a double-edged sword. You know, in, in one of the earlier chapters in my book that I wrote about don't get up 
and reach for your phone. And I think like 98% of the population do or whatever. There's a terrifying statistic that says like 40% of people look at their phone during sex. I'm like, people, <laughs> come on. If ever there's a time you need to be mindful about something, it's this. But yeah, seriously, people say to me, oh, I have to look at the, and this is MSP owners, I have to look at the phone in the morning to make sure there's no bombs I need to defuse or emergencies. And I'm like, what? Like, what on earth could be happening at like six in the morning or seven in the morning? You, you know, and, and if you are in that situation, if you're watching this, you know, I'm not picking on you because I've gone through it myself. You need to put in place processes so that somebody else is doing that rather than you having to look at your phone. And you don't have to look at your phone. There's an ego bit rolled up in this, I truly believe, you know, as we've, we've touched upon. But nobody should be looking at their phone first thing in the morning because what happens, and we all know this, you look at your phone, you either glance at emails, and there's no such thing as glancing at emails because as soon as you see a subject line, your brain starts to process it and go through it. Or you get a text message or a WhatsApp from a client or whatever it might be. What is happening is someone else is now dictating to you what you're doing today. When what you need to be doing is what Pete says, you need to be focusing on you know, what, you're, uh, what you need to be working on, business development, the website, sales and marketing, whatever it might be. So you, sorry, you've ruined the really whole idea of, 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 of people looking at their phones at inappropriate times. Pardon me, darling, the, uh, the website's down again. I'm just going to forward this over today. Um, <laughs> I think the other the other thing I, I like to do actually, if you're in that kind of focus time, even if you're at your desk, is I I mean by default, I have all of my Teams and Outlook notifications disabled. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just disabled by default because I'll be in the middle of something, even if it's not like that ninety minute focus time. Um, you're just trying to focus on something, and just like the little toast notifications that we get from Outlook, hello, you've got an email, bing bong, you've got an email, boop, here's a Teams message. I have those all turned off. And I'll be working on something. And yet I even have the little like little red counters turned off on the phone wherever possible. So that when I want to look at emails, I don't go, hang on, that number said five. And now it says 10. That's five more emails. I need to go and check. I yep. try and have all that turned off as much as possible so that when I'm doing what I want to do, I then go, right, I feel like I've, I've reached a break point. Now I'll go and check in on emails or now I'll go and check in on something else. And it just stops you being that reactive mode. I think to Claire's point as well, like I, I love the working on the business bit. I love that, like long-term planning, strategy, marketing, sales. What what can we do to get the message out there? I love all that stuff, but it's also it's also very ill-defined, as in it doesn't have like a, an end point. Whereas those tickets and those emails, they generally have like a, a right answer. Like here's the answer, here's the thing, here's what we're going to do. Let's fix it. So those are very easy to kind of check off and get that intrinsic fulfillment that you've achieved something. I've, I've achieved a load of things here. When you right. take 90 minutes to two hours or even a whole day to do strategy and brainstorming and thinking about marketing, you can come out with very little, but an idea of where you want to go. And then it needs more time and execution. And you can really feel like, well, I didn't do anything today that was valuable versus why well, I ticked off a lot of tickets. And, and that's, that's really, you know, and I think that's maybe that's just like the techie side of, of how my brain works, but I'm sure other people are the same. You just feel like you've ticked off a load of things and you've, you've done work. It's busy work. It's I refer to it, yeah. isn't it? Because technically by you doing tickets, you've earned money, whereas you working on strategy haven't really earned any money by doing that. Yeah. You just got to turn those other strategy things into tickets, and then you get to tick them off. 
Yeah. And, and and I say that jokingly, but I actually do that myself personally. And yeah, so everything same. that I work on, whether it's same whether thing, it's yeah. a, a bug that we're working on or high level strategy stuff, whatever, I typically have it as a task in there, so I can still get that that feeling of ticking something as I do it. And and I tend to I'm not awesome at this, but I, I use it when I have to, where I I eat the frog first. And the you you probably all heard of the, I think it was Brian Tracy. Brian Tracy, uh, yeah. Brian Tracy came out where you you've got that thing that you just you know you need to work on, but you're putting it off and you're putting it off and you're putting it off, and it's it's the whole notion of doing that hard thing that's the first very first thing you do in the day before you get into anything else. And I've used that for many 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 years incredibly well from time to time. I'm, I don't do it every day. I'm not perfect at it every day, but it but it certainly helps me get through those things that are the things that typically I need to work on that aren't aren't the the day to day. They're the if you look at that, what's the Stephen Covey's quadrant, isn't it? The the four what's the important and urgent and, and those things. And it's typically the important things, but not the urgent things that you you have in that frog category as well. And getting them done to me first thing in the morning is is by far one of the best strategies I've ever ever had in my productivity. And then the rest of the day flows and feels so much easier when you get a frog eaten first thing in the in the day. Let's touch upon something. Throw in. Oh, sorry, sorry, Pete. Go ahead, mate. Um, I was just going to go out in there. So one one thing that I often come a, uh, up against, or when when I speak to people, is they they don't know what they should be doing. You know, which one should I focus on? Which one's more important? And they end up bouncing between them and not actually completing any of them because they'll start doing one, then they get distracted, then mm-hmm. think that one's more important next. They they change to that yeah. one, they bounce around. Easy. And I, I'm a big fan of just if you don't know which one's which, just start at the top and just get through them. It doesn't doesn't matter which order. Just do one. I mean that sounds really wrong. Just do one, but just just do one of the tasks and um, yeah. and get on with things because you can spend so much time procrastinating around. Oh, that, that's the most important one. Let's do that one. Oh no, no, that that one you just get pulled left and right and centre. So just focus on do one, then the next one, then the next one, and keep going. You'll never ever get to that end of the the to do list like nobody ever does. Your uh, business will never be finished. It. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking late in the chat said, uh, thanks for joining us, Lee. Uh, my struggle is death by a thousand cuts in the form of questions throughout the day from team and customers. Everybody's nodding at that one, Lee, because yeah. I still get it to a degree. The one thing I would yeah. say, we, we've tried this and it doesn't always work great. But, you know, earlier I was saying about the headphones in or the on air sign or something like that. What we've tried to do uh, within our business to a degree is to have office hours, as they call it, yeah. which is like, OK, if you've got a question, I'm going to be available for 30 minutes or an hour, you know, between four and five. Save those questions up and come to me with it. Now, Lee says also, I'm letting learning to let people find their own answer. Absolutely. I learned this years ago. We've touched upon this in the show before. You know, when a client phones you on your mobile phone, cell phone, seven o'clock of a night, and you're sitting watching TV or you're with your family or whatever, I always or learned to always let that uh, go to voicemail. Uh, even if I was free uh, to do it. Now, some of you might chafe against this and look, why you've got to serve the customer? But what I then did was like 45 minutes to an hour later, I would phone back or text back and say, hey, sorry, I missed your call. I was having dinner with my family. How can I help you? And they'd nearly always, like 99 out of 100 times, get back and say, oh, don't worry, I've uh, found the solution myself. So there is something about letting people feel the pain uh, uh, to a degree. But the other thing I did there was, to subtly, you know, very gently say to them, you know, I've got a life and you know this is out of hours without saying, why are you calling me out of hours? So, you know, that, that worked for me. So perhaps that can work a little bit within your uh, business league uh, sort of office hours. One of the – I've got a – no, you go. Uh, so I had two, two answers to that question, I guess, really. There was, there was The first one was trying to educate 
staff to say when when you come to me bring the problem but also try and bring like two or three potential suggestions yeah that, that, was, problem. that was exactly what i was gonna say think about it <laughs> yeah. and then more from like an account manager's point of view or I guess even the engineering team if it's going to cost me less than 100 pounds or 100 bucks just just go and do it like most yeah. loads of people loads of people were kind of going to be oh we need to do this we've had this problem with this order we've ordered the wrong thing there's a restocking fee of 20 pounds what should we do it's like it's 20 quid just get on with it and, and sort it out for the customer those kind of things so um carry on yeah <laughs> So no, you, you, the two points that I had written down here were those two exact points. And so we, we had in our business what we called a decision matrix around pricing and or around that had a cost associated with it. And so in our business, the rule was if, if you can make a decision that has a potential impact to the business or the client or whatever it was up to this, or you can make a decision up to this amount, if it's over that amount, then you actually, I think we've got this, we've posted this inside the tech tribe as a, a resource. Yeah. And then if it's over that amount, then, and below this amount, then you need to go get a peer review from one of your peers, not me, go get a peer review from one of your peers. If it's then over that amount, then you need to go get um, approval from the service manager. If it's over a, a next amount, then the service manager needs to get approval by me. And that meant the decisions didn't come to me until they were like five grand um, per decision. And, and that, that was incredibly helpful. It took some time to get that thing put in place and it never worked perf- like 100% of the time because someone would always inevitably forget it and we had to remind them and whatnot. But it worked really, really well. And, and that whole notion, like that, I, I doubled down on that whole thing of, of pushing back on people like crazy to never come to me with a question, always come to me when you've got a proposed answer. And, that's, and only if you feel like your proposed answer you're not 100% confident in it and it goes like there's something in our decision matrix or our escalation flow that's that's making you uncomfortable then you can come to me but never ever ever come to me without that sort of stuff in place first so we had to put those those frameworks and those kind of bumpers and rules in place so people knew when to go and ask and and how to ask and we tried the office hours a few times and it worked pretty well but but I found like those other things worked well enough to the point where there would be days and days where I would go without being asked any questions in there. And when I was asked questions, they were they were asked the right way and and they were things that had the, a big impact and, and they'd already gone through the other levels first and whatever, which was awesome. Were you a member of uh, HTG back in the day? I, can't I was. Um, I was yeah. the, did, the, did you ever come across the, the, the concept of the allowance? No. Okay, so I, I genuinely can't remember who introduced this to me. I know it's somebody in HTG. <laughs> But A W O W, you know, like an allowance, but it was basically yeah, yeah. they empowered people within their team. They had uh, discretionally, let's just say it was up to $200. Yeah. Uh, basically, if they could make their clients' lives easier or add a plus one, as we call it within uh, my business, or, you know, just the customer service type thing, they had the power to, to do that. And it was called their allowance. Now, I can't remember if it was right. $200 per month. Or whatever, but I really like that concept, and it's very similar to what we talked about. Like Tim Ferriss uh, talked about transforming his uh, vitamin business when he just let go and said, "Look, if it's going to cost less than two hundred dollars to fix it, don't even chat with me. Just go for it." Yeah, so it really works. But allowance. If anybody's watching this in the HDG days, um, let me know who you were, and I'll give you the credit for it. Tony Hesh became famous for that in Zappos, right? Like his his whole approach with Zappos is probably where that originated, or it wouldn't have originated from somewhere probably in the early eighteen hundreds or nineteen hundreds. But his (laughs) his approach made it famous out there. And, and it was typically on a per incident basis, not per month or per day or whatever. It's normally per incident, so that yeah. if you're dealing with a client scenario, two hundred dollars of donuts every meeting. <laughs> you're speaking my language, my friend. So we, we had. I mean, it wasn't called anything as cool as allowance, but um, we had yeah. wow moments. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we should have totally taken that. 
And the idea was that, yeah, if, if you can pick up on something when you're on the phone to like just your, you know, when the, when the engineers are on the phone to the clients and I was like, someone was moving house or getting married or just just things. It came off the back of The Fred Factor, the book called The Fred yeah, Factor. Yeah. Awesome book. Um, yeah. Just if you can find a moment where you can go, okay, cool, we can do something here. And it's just meant to make your client turn around and go, oh, wow, they actually like listen. They actually care. They actually remember these kind of things. If you can find something. I remember someone... Um, Someone caught a cold or had a flu or something, and the guys went onto Amazon to buy a flu kit. There was like a, <laughs> a you know, one of those men's flu kits, whatever they are, and they just literally Amazon primed it there the next day and just yeah. gave them a bit of a chuckle. It's just those kind of little moments that don't cost a huge amount, you know, Correct. 20, 30, 40 bucks um, yeah. per thing. And you're not going to find them all the day, every day. You know, it's going to be these unique things where you can go, oh, actually, no, we can really, we can really do something here. Yeah. Um, and I've heard of, I don't know if you guys have heard of like the Gary V moments of, Someone place an order for like one bottle of wine. They'll ask them, you know, some random question and he'll stalk them on social media, find out what they love. And I think he sent them like a signed, was it signed like a Jets jersey or something? Something, you know, a big sports team with a probably like customer, a few hundred bucks on this like 20 buck order of wine or something. Yeah. And um, didn't hear anything back. And I think like six months or a year later, they had a massive order from somebody <laughs> who said, oh, you, you've got my mate so-and-so, this this jersey. I quite like this team in the order on, on the basis that he would then be buying him a jersey as well. But he buying him that the jersey stuff. or the team if he's put in a large order, maybe. So it's just he's kind of trying to capture these moments where yeah, yeah you, you you can really make an impact and kind of make people kind of yeah. just step back and go, oh, hang on, my my other provider, my old provider, didn't do that. That's that's awesome. They really do like think about me. There's an amazing book on that whole process called Giftology by a guy called John Rulin. And he's got a business that deals with that, like amazing corporate gifting and going out and finding the things like the jerseys or whatever it happens to be for, for people out there. An awesome book. If you haven't read it yet, highly recommend. You can knock it out in an hour. It's a bit of a sales letter to his business because his business does that stuff, like high-end corporate gifting. But, but it, just the, the philosophy in there and the, the practical stuff that they he shares in there is pretty bloody good. I think you're the, the, the best. I say this absolutely truly, Nigel. I think you're the best in the world that I've ever come across at this and i know it'll make you blush and you're mm. also uh, bizarrely somebody who doesn't like receiving gifts but no. you, are the person, <laughs> you are the person that i know who has given i the hate most, receiving gifts you've given the, the most touching gifts to to myself and others that, mm. I've, that, that i've ever come across and every time i speak to somebody at community groups or whatever they will say oh nigel sent me this or nigel oh. gave me that and i, I totally get it because i'm sat here with an acoustic coupler <laughs> right. I remember tracking I, that one down. I burst into tears when it arrived, and it was because it means so much to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm a massive geek. Uh, for Nigel, it was just a piece of metal that he, he managed to track down on, on eBay in America or whatever. But those things, as Pete said, that are super important to people, yeah. you know. Uh, so thank you, public thank you, Nigel. No worries. Can I can I do a, a humble brag of one of the cool ones that I came up with recently? Well, with two, I won't tell you who it's to, but we've got a friend that, that like cybersecurity expert and loves everything about cybersecurity. And so I thought, what can I, and it's helping out the tech tribe like crazy. And it's like, what can I get this guy to say thanks that's going to blow their mind? And so I went, oh no, like where did the cybersecurity industry came from? It came from like back in the cryptographic days and whatever. Let me buy him an Enigma machine from World War II. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I looked, I didn't because I looked online and I went, okay, let me search buy Enigma machine. And the response is like $1 million and stuff. And I went, oh crap, like there goes that idea. But I kept searching and searching and searching, and I found someone that was selling parts from an Enigma machine that had been dug out of a, a ground in Poland, and he was selling the rotors from it. And so I, I bought one of these rotors. It was like $600 and got it shipped to me, 
and and then got it displayed in a nice display case and it just said like this is uh, part of the original an original enigma machine from world war ii recovered in in poland and sent that across to him in a display case and when it came here and all got set up in the display case my wife saw it and goes holy crap that's awesome and so I had to go back to the guy and say, do you have any more rotors? And he had two more. So I had to go and buy two more rotors and got two more of those <laughs> things made up. And we've got one downstairs and I gave one to someone else as well in the cybersecurity space, just as a, a thank you for all that they do. And I knew that they, they geek out on that kind of stuff. And, and it was kind of cool. There's, there's no limit to, to the amazing different things you can buy for someone. And that's, you've probably heard of the terms love languages and, and people have got different love languages. Some love receiving gifts. I love giving gifts. Like I love just coming up with cool things and just showing people appreciation and coming up with cool, funky ideas. And, and it does go a long way. We spend thousands and thousands and thousands, or probably tens of thousands each year on, on just showing appreciation to people when they help us out in some way, shape or form. And I'm sure we don't track it, but I'm sure it comes back in, in who knows what 10 X in, in different things. So, yeah, and loyalty. Look at the comments, the nice things people are saying about you, Nigel. So. What's, yeah, Jorgensen says, I like Nigel because he'll go out of his way to make things right, even if it's a small issue. And that's important in this industry. And um, again, humble brag, we do that. We, we're very intentional behind that on our help desk in that when we stuff up and we stuff up, like we're, our back end of our Tech Tribe portal system is is highly complicated and there's lots of moving parts and, and we break things semi-regularly in there by doing things that double bill people or do something. And we don't just, when we do that, we don't just fix it and say, here's your refund. We'll go out, we make sure that we go and gift these people something to say, hey, look, we're so sorry that this happened. Like we were trying our hardest to make it not happen, but it did. We're humans. Here's a, a little, we've given you a, whatever it is. A, a, it's never a, a gift voucher. It's always something that, that makes sense, like a, a nice book or something or whatever, just to, just to apologize and do it. And I think just little token things like that, like you said, Pete, they're tiny little things, but they just go to create a wow factor. And that's that's it's an SOP for us to do that stuff. We do it as part of our like, – it's not a formal written SOP. We just do it because it's the culture of the business. We, we do it on every single time we, we break something or hurt someone or annoy someone or whatever. We try and go out of our way to make them feel like we, 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 we're sorry, <laughs> essentially. That's probably the word I'm looking for. Someone – what's this? Let's play – uh, I'm just looking at our private chat here, and I don't get this one. <laughs> Scott says, let's play thermoglobal nuclear war. Let's see so who you, gets that reference out there. Who would like a nice too. game? Who would prefer you a nice bought. game of chess to thermonuclear, yeah. thermoglobal nuclear war? We'll put that one out there. Let us know in the chat if you know what on earth we're talking about and acoustic couplers. Uh, yeah, while we wait for you, the bought, you bought him an acoustic coupler, <laughs> Nigel. And that's we'll we'll explain in a minute, Nigel, what this right. is. <laughs> that is. Right. Uh, but I want to see who in the IT industry. See if anybody knows else knows the reference. I, I wanted to to talk about something, you know, getting back to the topic of when you don't have any money uh, within the business. Uh, everybody has alluded to this. Scott has mentioned this earlier with his bookkeeping. You know, when he, he looked at it and he was like, okay, it's going to cost me 10, 10 pounds an hour or whatever to get my bookkeeping done. Scott, I'm, I'm going to take a guess. Your consulting time is worth significantly more than 10 pounds an hour isn't it oh, a little bit yeah yeah a yeah. little bit so i oh, think yeah. well, the, the point i would make here is you know when you don't have any money sometimes you've got to look at it and say right i'm going to invest the money in working with somebody and we've talked about virtual assistants admin assistants outsourcing those type of things what would it look like if you invested the time and the money in getting somebody else on board and understanding that it frees up your time to go and either bill yourself at X amount, $100 per hour, or work on the business which generates thousands or tens of thousands 
uh, worth of uh, revenue every every day. So sometimes it's about the investment. We've talked about this a number of times, you know, realizing that your time is really valuable. Uh, and, and I think MSP owners can sometimes get wrapped up in, oh, I'm the only one who can do this. That's not the case at all, in my uh, my opinion. But it's I just, you know, one you... thing that... Oh, go, Scott. Cool, that's fine. I was going to say, the, the thing is, you, you often look at those things and go, oh, man, there's so much admin that's taking up my time, and I need to hand over that admin. I need someone to do the admin. And the traditional way of doing that is to go, well, let's go and hire an admin person. Okay, and in the UK, like the minimum salary might be, I don't know, £17,000 a year. So you're like, okay, well, that's, you know, if I don't have a lot of money, that's an extra person that I need to bring in. Maybe that's full-time. Maybe I can bring someone in part-time. But when I look at something like our bookkeeping, like I just had the invoice two days ago, and it's £145 this month is how much the bookkeeping has cost. Okay, I haven't had to look at the books. I haven't had to touch them. They're all in perfect order. It's £145. And that is literally, it's like four hours every week of my time just freed up. Well, that, that's a heck of a lot more valuable for me to have those two days, two working days back for £145. And they are better, faster, smarter at it than I am. And so I look at that with all the other things and go, right, where can I get someone to help with this? We have a, a HR manager who does everything we need for HR. And I'll be honest, we don't really need it that often, but when we need it, we need it. If we need policies or processes or there's been a regulatory change thanks to the government, we pay £200 a month for a complete outsourced HR service. It comes with all of our you know, staff handbooks, contracts of employment, contracts for you know, if we get temporary workers or if we bring in apprentices, all of that stuff's covered. If we have any litigation or issues or problems, it actually includes an insurance policy for, for all of those kinds of things. Everything in there is covered for good levers, bad levers. We, we have everything covered. I don't have to think about HR. I couldn't possibly get you know, a HR person or someone as, as skilled as this service that we get from that business for 200 pounds a month, two and a half grand a year. It's just, it's money that I look at and go, it's, it's money well spent. We probably don't use it once in six months, but when we do use it, it's completely valuable. And, and we could never have a person in the business that is, is that good. So I just look around at all those different factors, all those seats on that org chart and go, right, we have people in there and it's costing us a fraction of what it would cost either for me to do it and get it wrong and the penalty of, of getting it wrong and how much it would cost in, in cash there or to hire someone in, even if it was just an, an admin person to try and half do those roles, but not as well as these individual specialists. And again, you know, our whole thing is we go to businesses and say, hey, outsource your IT service to us because we are fantastic at it. And, and actually, it's probably better, faster, cheaper than you trying to hire a team to do this yourself. Well, duh, that's that's exactly what we need to do when it's stuff outside of our skill set, when it's legal and finance and you know all that stuff. That's where we should go and outsource. And that's how, as that kind of you know founder, owner, manager role for me, I'm trying to just keep dwindling away the things that I do. And I was chatting to Richard yesterday, and I think I said I have two jobs left that I haven't given to someone else. And both of them kind of involve having access to the bank account. And that's it. Once once that's gone, I, I don't have any operational things that I need to do. My focus is chatting to customers and prospects and, and sales and marketing focus and running the business, leading the team, keeping everyone enthused and in charge and, you know, keeping yes. us all happy, looking after everyone. That's that's my mission. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to get doing here. Just to jump in on that bank account access thing, because I've, I've come up against that actually on my new business as well as people I've been coaching, 
in like with the modern digital banks like Starling and Monzo and those kind of things, there's not the ability to give access to anybody that's not like on the books on part of the company. Whereas yeah. I know with NatWest that we used to have them with like Lloyds Bank here in the UK, you can essentially create user accounts. You can create yeah. user accounts, give them permissions, and you can then say, okay, they can schedule payments, but I need to approve them. Or actually, mm-hmm. if you just want to completely hand over access, they can do everything, but they don't have a bank card. They don't have signatory, you know, um, signatures on the account, just in case people aren't aware of those kind of things exist. Because most people I find are going towards like Starling and the newer digital banks that don't yet have those kind of right. features in there. There, there are third party tools, um, not to jump too much into the weeds here, uh, Pete, but I know Zero, for instance, I think that it's called Zero Pay or something like that, where you could delegate the ability for somebody else to say, yeah, pay this, 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 and this bill. And it will automatically connect to like Starling and, and go and do it for you. It's not quite the same as having access to the bank account, but that might be one that's worth looking into. So I'm going to have a look at now, that. Now Googling that. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> this show, every single week for anybody watching this live and, and thinking what they know all this stuff, we regularly say something and then the others are like, oh, I've never heard of that and go and do it. So we get as much out of this show as everybody, as hopefully everybody watching does. It goes with wise. Okay, that makes sense. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I was going to throw in a couple of things there as well. So the, I wrote, wrote some notes down. Recurring revenue. So yeah, in, in terms of like, I don't have enough money um, to do things. How do I like pay for stuff? The biggest thing I think we had was, and most people ask me like, how did you grow your business? Recurring revenue was like the biggest thing. You take on a few new clients that are paying monthly for whatever services are. Then you can hire some staff. Then you take on some more clients. Then you hire some staff. And it's literally just rinse and repeat. Um so I think that's worth kind of pointing out for those that are maybe doing a bit more ad hoc work. Maybe, Scott, because yours is very project-focused as well. I know you're building the kind of subscription-based um, thing you've got as well. But, um, but yeah, certainly when it's ad hoc, it feels a lot more dangerous to outsource and hire because that income could disappear tomorrow because it's just a project. And what if the project doesn't come through? And uh, uh, every MSP has that kind of – and we had it too, is you've got that kind of base level of where your recurrings are kind of coming up to. And then for us, we're always trying to get that to be our, you know, cover our operating expenses. So yeah, we know yeah. we're we're safe. You know that meets things. I, I don't think we quite got there, but we were always well above it. Once you add on the the kind of professional services on top of that, and so we just had to try and guess of like, well, that's what normally happens in our, in our kind of professional services and ad hoc work. So I think we can afford somebody on the basis of that doesn't go away. But it feels very, very bad to do that because you just think that, I mean, that literally you, you could just go through the process of no quotes get accepted that month, that month you get no work. And now you've made a loss because you haven't got that professional services kind of top up that you always had. Um, so I thought I'd mention that for one. And secondly, um, certainly around here, at least, we have something called the Solent LEP uh, funding. And everyone will have their own kind of individual kind of funding and grants and local councils and government things. But have a look to your local kind of, you know, local government for any form of funding you can get because places like the Solent Lep around here, you can apply and you can apply, I think, for up to 50% of a, a project cost. Um, unfortunately, that means you can't use it to pay for staff, but you can use it to pay for capital expenses. Like if you're buying gear or buying equipment or, or stuff or cars or whatever it's going to be. Um, so you can actually get quite a lot of funding locally, providing you go through the motions and you know, actually apply for it, which is a bit of fun from time to time. But it's well worth doing. You certainly, if you've got some big expansion plans, you know, moving into bigger offices, you need to fit the office out. You know, all those costs, at least fifty percent of that could be covered um, by some, you know, some good. What's LEP a LEP? Is that like a, a local? It's um... a lo- it's local enterprise partnership. I think it's called. 
Got yep. it. So it would have been like Business Link or back in the day. Everybody's got one in their part of the world, though, haven't they? So whether mm. it, whatever it might be called, but the LEP would be the local business development agency. So Correct. Yeah. And those things pop up and they, they get funding rounds. So they might not have any now, but they might have some in six months time or 12 months time. Uh, it's always always worth just like registering with them and um, just, you know, subscribing to their newsletter or what have you. And just stay on top of things just in case do come through. Yeah. Lee was saying here, and I think this probably rings true for all of you guys as well. It certainly did for me is up until recently, because he's in a really good spot in his business at the moment because he's been putting in the hard work for some time. But previously up until then, he he was never able to financially afford a new role when he hired them. Uh, however, the business could not afford to not have them and they always ended up making money. And I think that uh, I don't know whether there's some sort of unwritten universal law that, that just comes into play here that it just works out every time. You go and hire the person that you can't afford and it, it either subconsciously kicks you into gear to make different decisions or better decisions in there. But it, I've never been in a situation where I've where I've been scared of making a, 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 a hire I've made the hire and it's backfired on me. It's always turned out good when I've been scared of going and hiring someone because it just, as I said, it kind of forces you. It's a forcing function on making good decisions around the other stuff that you work on so that you end up getting the money in then. Uh, he I, talked I, about it a bit last week, I think, didn't you? Or was it the I week did, before yeah. where you Recently. took a leap and sort of hired somebody? And then I don't know if you agree with this or not, Nigel, but like that old that old chestnut of like limitations breed innovation. So if yeah. you make yeah. yourself artificially like – Instead of, oh, we, sh- we we want to sign three new clients, if you then take on the cost of a new employee, we have to sign three new clients is a completely different kettle of fish yep. and exactly. you force forward. So going back to what we were saying earlier about productivity, you know, and people in the chat, I noticed people talking about, well, you know, I procrastinate about this or do, don't do this or don't do the other. That whole thing that Pete was saying about setting 90 minutes, I, I, I start, I'm the world's biggest procrastinator. I set a 25-minute, what I call a Pomodoro. Uh, I put some music on, 25 minutes. I have to get the task finished in 25 minutes. You know, and that limitation just breeds the 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 desire, the urgency to actually get the work done. So there's that old adage, isn't there? The work will expand to fill the time available. You can get that to work for you if you yeah. cram it down and say there isn't that much time, you get the work done. You know, and I've worked a four-day week for for many many years now and that does that works how, uh, to that effect so how much of your work like on a typical week would you say that you use pomodoros 50 percent of the, the the working hours 80 percent, 20 percent. how how much of your week do you a great question for anybody who's not familiar with what pomodoro is yeah it's that little italian that's where it comes from but it means slice of tomato so you can actually get pomodoro timers which are a little tomato that sit on your desk and you set them for 25 minutes or whatever. The whole point is, you know, uh, and, and answer to your question, Nigel, when I'm on a good day, I use Pomodoros for virtually everything. The whole day. I have two Pomodoros. No, I have three Pomodoros. I have uh, a 25 minute one, which is usually for admin and, you know, small writing tasks, a 50 minute Pomodoro yeah, where like I'm, I'm doing something a little bit deeper. And then the one I'm starting to add is the 90 minute Pomodoro, right. which is where I work on the deep work that, that we, you and I have, uh, have talked about. So in answer to your question, on a good day, so I had a really good day this week. It's Tuesday uh, of this week. I did all-day Pomodoros right. and then took breaks in between them, and I got a ton done. The Wednesday, not so much, so it's still a work right. in progress for me. Do you force yourself to take the breaks even if you're in flow in those yes. things? 
Uh, no, not if I'm in flow, like with writing and stuff, but if I'm doing admin <laughs> or whatever, there's always one more email to answer or one more yeah, whatever yeah. to do. There is. So I force myself to take the break at that point and go, right, get up, stretch, move around, because it's so easy to just sit there and keep doing stuff. There's Correct. never ending... Your business is never finished, is it? So. Going back to that moment of like um, hiring someone before you can afford them, technically, the same also I find applies if you kind of you know, want to reward yourself, like have a holiday, like book Disneyland. Yes. Like yeah. book Disneyland, pay the deposit, which is, you know, like 50 quid or something. It's going to be like something very, very small. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your staff you're going to go on holiday. Now you really need to do some work to actually pay for the holiday, even though you can't afford it yet. Yep, so I yeah. find those kind of things can be really, really good to just just push you to do the work you need to do. Oh, yeah. Yep, 100%. Lee, Lee asks, are we back to sex now? I think that was when we were talking about the 25 minutes there. David Allen from GTD says, if you can get it done in two minutes or less, just do it right there now. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's Pomodoro's in 60 seconds. Listen. 60-second Pomodoros. And, Pete, so back to your – there was a point I wanted to, to add on to your one where you say, like, if you go and book the Disneyland trip in or whatever and you, you it then forces you to go and, and make the money, but it also forces you to go and focus on all the tasks in the business that require you still and, fo- and it makes you prioritize on them to go and get yourself out of them a whole lot more. And I remember going on my first trip overseas – when I had my MSP, I imported a, a French girl out here and now married to her. Where she wanted to go back home, and I'd never left Australia before, apart from a couple of, of conferences that were more work than anything else. And it was like, oh, what can I go on like a couple of week trip out of the country on a holiday from my MSP? And and so we booked this thing in. It was probably we probably booked it two to three months in advance. But I completely changed the way I worked in that two to three months leading up to it. I focused very heavily on just getting everything off my plate that that needed to happen in all the day-to-day stuff. And that was accounting stuff and admin stuff and ticket stuff and and account management stuff and everything as well. And that became that forcing function for me, which was awesome. And then over the years, we, we ended up doing a number of, of four and five-week holidays overseas. And before each one, I would just, I would be in this role. It would it kind of just push me into this role of just getting so much amazing stuff built and SOPs created and tasks delegated and, and admin assistants hired and all sorts of things in there. So if, you, if you're struggling, maybe, Scott, it's time to just go and book in a holiday, come to Australia for five weeks and say you're not going to be working on the business and then, then that'll force you to get rid of some of these other laggards that might be on the plate. I think isn't that a – is it Mike McCallowitz's book? Is that It's not Pumpkin Plan, is it, where they're talking Fix about – this next, is it? Possibly, Fixes. yeah, that might be the one. And actually, later, it relates to what we've been talking about and also relates to yeah, taking time off the business and getting your staff to not ask you questions because yeah. it just goes through the whole process of book a, you know, book a day's holiday, book a week's holiday, yes. then two weeks, That's then a month, cool. then, then like four months. And basically yeah. you keep booking holidays. You come back and revisit and go, okay, what, what broke? What didn't work? Yeah. What, what were you waiting yeah. on me for? Let's fix that and figure out how we can automate that or you know, figure a way around it. And take another yeah. one and make it longer, and you know, get to the stage where you can ha- technically have six months off without your business and noticing and your clients noticing. Yep, that's the ultimate. Everything's got a season, though, that I find in business, and and that's the ultimate is doing it that way. But I think there's also you've got to be cognizant of the seasons that we are in a business, and sometimes we're in a building phase of our business, and and you just don't want to take time off in that building phase. You just want to get in, and that's what I was saying before. You just want to get in and. And, and do whatever you can to get through this particular season, whether it's because you've got a load of opportunity that's untapped or whether it's because you want to get a few things knocked out or whatever. I think doing that in conjunction with knowing the season that you're at in your business is, um, is a super awesome way to go through that process. Things I think most, most, most startups just 
have that season for the first five years of business. It's like a five-year season, exactly. <laughs> it is. Um, so but each, each business you start gets yeah. faster through that season. I, oh, forgive me for speaking over. I was going to say Theo asked a really interesting question in the chat. He said, who, which roles that is, do you employ as opposed to outsource to? He says outsourcing is so much more affordable. Yeah, I'm intrigued what people would say about that. Who, Scott, you and I, we were doing a podcast interview. We were, we were like scheduled for... 50 minutes and ended up going like two hours, didn't we, yesterday talking about this very subject. But uh, yeah, you were saying about some things that outsourcing doesn't do as well and you sort of uh, are keeping internally uh, to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is, I mean, my my simple answer is, you know, outsource to wherever it's best best served and most financially efficient for your business. And those those can be two different things. You know, you can outsource and, and you're making tons and tons of margin on a product or service, but it's absolutely dog awful and the customers hate it and you're just printing money on the margin, but it won't last long. There's no lifetime value in it because the customers hate it. Um, or you can you can outsource the people who are the best and brightest and maybe make slightly less margin, but you're still making margin for not doing anything. And, that, and that's how I look at, you know, if I think about the guys we use over at Uptime for our IT managed service solution, they do a fantastic job and, and we mark it up and sell it through as part of our good, better, best packages. We don't have to think about it. Now, again, you know, this is always the contentious issue. Should you outsource your service desk and people think that it's core to their identity and relationship? We don't. We think it's people who phone IT service desk want someone who knows what they're doing to fix the problem they've got there and then on the phone. And that's great service as far as they're concerned. Easy. Um but to, to Theo's point, you know, when I think about what would we outsource, we would outsource anything that is not core to, to who we yeah. are and what we do. Like right. that's the stuff that we're absolutely niche specialists at and we're trying to carve this path of being like the, the 365 and Azure guys. That's what we do really well. For everything outside of that, especially business operations, finance, legal, HR, we're not we're not any of those people so let's let's outsource those you know seats to make sure that we have someone who does a good job and that could be an individual or it could be like a service provider our hr is technically a service provider we have one permanent named contact which is sarah but whenever she goes on holiday she's like hey i'm on holiday here's my colleague that you can contact while i'm away but actually if you can't get either of us here's the main service line and someone will help you so there's always someone in that service available uptime it's a dedicated five person pod of it providers you know, it consultants who are going to do the the break fix so there's there's, there's a different way of of just you know thinking about is it the, the the thing that we are awesome at, that we manage the relationship with the customer through, and, and this really adds value to the relationship and we can help drive forward the business and the customer? Or is it just kind of day-to-day stuff that we just need the best person for, you know, for the best price to do? And that's how we look at it. So that's why we've outsourced all of those things. I think some MSP owners might think a sacrosanct. Oh, I, I have to run service tests. That, that's me. Some business owners will look at it and go, no, I cannot possibly give access to the bank account. Oh, I can't, I can't give access to the finance system. I understand all those things, but are you the best person to do it? And that's why I've kept challenging myself to go, this doesn't have to be me. I don't have to do this. My guys don't have to do this. Let's find the right person at the right price. And if it's affordable and we can still make the margin, and they're the genuinely the best people for the job, then they should do it. And Richard, you challenged me yesterday because when we – when we thought about service desk, my initial point was 
yes, there are many, many outsourced service desk providers, but I want one that's in the UK because my customers are in the UK. That's that's my yeah. primary focus. I want a UK-based service desk. And there are some fantastic service desks out in you know, the Philippines and out in the US, but I want a UK one. And, and that's why we ended up choosing Uptime specifically, and also because the great relationship and feeling that we got when we chatted to the team. But you challenged me yesterday, thing, actually in this background of what we've just had with the, the shift in the workforce over the last two years, UK might not necessarily be the best place for these outsourced services. There might be absolutely fantastic people in other parts of the world now that are always available you know, on Teams or Zoom or whatever it is that can do an amazing job, maybe at an even better price. And so we've got like the best people from anywhere around the world now, and they're doing the job. And that's the, the kind of thing that you challenged me on yesterday. So I would say you're genuinely right person for the job. And it used to be for me UK-based, but now it's right person for the job wherever the heck they are. Who cares? As long as they are doing an amazing job, looking after the customers or the, or the thing you're asking them to do, and it's a great price point. I will shut up for a second. <laughs> Chris, I, I think you, that I struggle with when like outsourcing <clears throat> those kind of roles. And I think, yeah, it does come down to like, what are you good at? Like, what, what's the thing that you deliver? Certainly for me with like my service desk team, I wouldn't have, I mean, I considered it a lot of times, but I wouldn't ever outsource that role because, you know, going back to like the, you know, the, the, the allowance, those kind of things, you can't really run those kind of things through outsource teams. I guess it's personality. I, I feel like you just lose some of the personality if you start outsourcing if they're certainly if they're customer facing you know yes things like accounts can be outsourced but i always again thought the the bookkeeping and the, the chasing and those kind of things you can still have your own kind of bit of personal spin on it and a bit of personality that you can have a bit of fun with it i think that's, that's the main thing you can have some fun if you're doing it internally whereas if you just give it to somebody else they're there to do a job and they're going to do it as efficiently as possible <laughs> maybe not with that like personality kind of spin on it so yeah that was, that was my other other thought on terms of outsourcing i think you're right i think picking those outsource people is hugely important and and again when we when we did service desk it was very much around they they feel like us they they you know we get on really well we have a great rapport i, I love the way their business runs i love the people that are there and we just got this great feeling that if if they're going to answer the phone as cloud nexus it's going to feel like Cloud Nexus. That was one of the other big things as well, was just that relationship right. thing. It's, it's going to feel like us. And you're right, Pete, it's, it's really important. Otherwise, you can just be seen as, you know, giving it to a fractional person who's doing a bit of stuff just because, you know, we've got a bit of work for them. And it's not interesting. They're not part of the team. So I still think there's a big difference between just kind of getting a fractional person, getting someone who actually feels like part of the business and genuinely... I'd say for for everybody apart from the HR, I think everyone feels like, you know, that's our finance person. That's our service desk. It feels like us. That's That's been, you know, a great experience that we've had with outsourcing. Nice. Cool. I'm just posting a note in here for the Richard <laughs> video on the War Games thing. And I think it was Lee who won the first, mentioned War Games first back if I scroll a little bit further up. Who do we? Who who else answered that? I think Chris at Jorgensen IT gets the acoustic coupler reference and thermo nuclear global war. How about a nice game of chess? We're going to send <laughs> Nigel to look at the video clip afterwards so he can understand the significance of the acoustic coupler and what he sent to me. I have seen war games 
Is it from War Games, is it? And my you saw it 10 years after it was released. You need to go yeah, back and, and view it again. Well, I couldn't it see is. it when it was released. I was three years old. I wouldn't have bloody <laughs> what was going on. He came out in, what was it, 1983, I think it came 83, out. yeah. I just had a look here. 83. Yeah. So I was three years old. Um, I, I would have watched it sometime in the 90s. I do remember seeing it. Yeah. I have no recollection of what was in it, though, and I've, I've heard of it talked about many times since then, so I'm going to add it to the list and go and watch it again. If you if you are working in cybersecurity and you've not seen War Games, go and check no. it out. Hackers was my favourite movie from back oh, then. Yeah, that, that was, was awesome. the one that, that kicked my – I still listen to that one song from Hackers, or there's one song from Hackers. Every time I'm on a plane, I always listen to yep. that one song. And, yep. um, it, it's, Opus uh, 3, It's a Fine Day. No, uh, that's no, no close. No. Halcyon and On by Orbital. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's when he's sitting on the plane with his headphones on yeah, going along. Yeah, yeah. And every time yeah. I take off on a plane, it's kind of my ritual that I'll put that song on. Yeah. I've had it for years. It's a yeah. crazy little ritual, but I, I love that movie. The old young, John, what's her name? Jennifer, not Jennifer, Brad Pitt's ex-wife. Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. 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 That's yeah, the one. Um, and Johnny but anyway, we should probably wrap up. We should probably wrap up. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. You're the wrap-up <laughs> man. Um, you can <laughs> kick us all into gear. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, as always, for joining us, everybody. Thanks for all the questions in, in the chat. It's been really good to see you there as well. Make sure you subscribe down below. Oh, there's a link. Yep, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, make sure you subscribe down below. That's the link in the bottom corner. Make sure you're on the YouTube channel. We're trying to make sure the YouTube channel grows, and I know we're on LinkedIn and a few other places, but if you can go to YouTube and subscribe, uh, find us on your favorite podcast platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, all of the usual things. And we'll be here at this uh, same time, same place, possibly. Maybe. We're trying to figure out time zone difficulties still. Uh, we have been for like a month, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> so yeah, same time, same place, potentially next week. Cool. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, everyone. Thank you, everyone in the chat as well, as always. Um, it's been fun. A bunch of great questions and comments in there. Speak to you all later.